Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. This is episode 29. Connie, the rummage sale rhinestone cowgirl, is going to take us through the case of Jessica Keene. I wear that crown proudly. It's springtime rummage sale, yard sale, garage sale, depending on where you're at in the world. I don't know what you call it. They do not call it rummaging down south. Karen and I learned that. But it's like you call it rummaging. You're like rummaging through other people's things. You're going rummaging. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I got a jumpsuit today rummaging for 75 cents, if anyone wanted to know. I got an American (laughs) Girl doll for my daughter. (laughs) It's not for her daughter. It's for her. It's for me. Her name is McKenna. Not my daughter. Well, my new daughter. (laughs) My American Girl doll. (laughs) She doesn't talk back. (laughs) Okay. All right. Tell me about Miss Keene. So this is the story of Jessica Keene. And I'm going to give you guys a heads up like we do every case. It's This is a rough one. Jessica Lynn Keene was born on September 24th, 1975. My daughter's birthday is September 24th. To Rebecca and James Keene. To everyone who knew her growing up, she was pure joy to be around. She loved to dance, sing, and perform. Her mom said that she would have loved to have been a singer or an actress, but she really loved animals. So her plan was to go to college to be a zoologist. Wholesome. Wholesome. Singing, dancing zoologist. I don't know much about her family life. I'm assuming – I read in one article that her parents had divorced – I looked up her obituary and it showed like she had a sister and then a stepbrother and a stepsister, but it never mentioned like a stepmom or stepdad. So, okay. I'm not sure on that. Her mom, she moved with her mom to Columbus when she was 13. So she is from the central Ohio area. Okay. I was going to say Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's like close to, like the area is like close to me. Her mom said that she was worried about Jessica making friends because she was moving like at 13, but she adapted quickly. She was brilliant. She had a 4.0 GPA. She was a cheerleader. She was extremely popular and beautiful, beautiful. She had striking features. Boys flocked to her. She was just like, when we post the pictures, like that's the first thing you think. You're like, oh my gosh, this girl is gorgeous. Striking. Striking, yes. Cool. She was a sophomore in high school in 1990, and by all accounts, she was considered a parent's dream child. She spent her time like many other kids did, like we did. She hung out with friends. She spent time at the mall. Like I said, she was a cheerleader. She knew that she would need a scholarship and to get good grades to get into school to be a zoologist, so her grades in school were her number one priority. One day when she was out with her friends, Jessica met. Sean Thompson. Sean was a senior at her school. He was a football player. And her friend said she was there when they met. So there was an instant connection. Her friend Nikki Mabry, she was her best friend at the time, she said you could tell that the sparks were flying. She started writing, I love Sean, Sean's name all over her notebooks, you know, typical teenage girl stuff. The writing the names on the notebook was such a 90s thing, and it just, like, the nostalgia was so real when I was reading that. Washed over you. Yes. I was like, oh, I remember that. I remember. 
I remember writing like Mrs. Uh, Lance Bass because I was a Lance fan of NSYNC. Not relevant, but kind of relevant. I know it's it's hilarious. Funny to me that (laughs) that I, yep. Uh, I was a Justin Timberlake (laughs) girl and I really, really liked Chris Kirkpatrick's braces. I don't know why, but I dug (laughs) the braces. Like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He's going to have super straight teeth. Yes. <laughs> that's all me. Moist. <laughs> Oral health is a big priority. So Jessica's mom started noticing a huge change in Jessica's behavior. And unfortunately, it was not for the better. We know teen love, especially that first love, Oof. it can be. It makes you dumb. Yep. All consuming. Her mom, Rebecca, said. This wasn't the typical puppy love situation that she assumed it would have like she would have to face at some point and she assumed that this would be. Her grades started to drop significantly. She was skipping school, getting in trouble, just fighting with her mom constantly. A few months into their relationship, Sean had gotten into trouble for skipping too much school and then he just stopped coming. But Jessica was determined to stand by her relationship with Sean, but when her mom found out, she had even quit cheerleading. She's like, "Nope, this is it." She told Jessica she wasn't allowed to see Sean anymore, but her not being able to see him. She made her want to see him more. And I remember that. Like, I know we always say that, like, oh, I remember. But I do. Like, I remember being a teenage girl and, like, my parents saying, you can't do that. And it was like, okay, well, now I really want to do it. Yep. The first time I had, like, my first love. I remember my grandpa was like, that's just puppy love. And I was like, it's not, grandpa. It's real. We're going to be together forever. <laughs> We're going to be together forever. I was so mad. I remember that anger. <laughs> now I'm like, yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> Her mom said that eventually it was just a constant fight with Jessica. She said, I had forbidden her to see Sean. I said, you can't see him till your grades come up. And as far as her going to college, she knew she'd have to keep a good grade average in order to get a scholarship. And even her grades started to drop. She had skipped school a couple times to be with him. And of course, she was threatening the... I don't want to live with you anymore, so I knew I had to do something. She said it wasn't like it was like they couldn't agree on anything and everything was a battle. Which a lot of that is, I feel like typical teenage girl mom dynamic cuz that's how it was with me. I didn't Yeah. Well, I mean, she says that it was just a sudden shift, but that sounds like kind of a normal shift from like 13 to 14, you know, or that age area. Yeah, and like I remember at 15, I like to call them like kind of like the lost years, like where it's my mom couldn't tell me anything. There was it's like she was never a teenager. She didn't understand. She didn't understand like I needed to be with my friends. And it's just like you said, like that shift is normal. Mm -hmm. But going and like she said, she said like she expected it at some point, but it was the skipping school, the going from a 4.0 to grades dropping. And like she loved cheerleading and eventually just being like, nah, I'm done with this. Yeah. So Jessica's mom went to the school counselor to see what options she had to try and help Jessica both in school and to help repair their relationship because up until this point, they were very close. Counseling services were offered and Jessica and Rebecca agreed and like she called it like one of their cooling off points, like when they weren't fighting, that the best place for Jessica to work on their relationship would be if Jessica went to the Huckleberry House, which is a home in downtown Columbus for troubled teens. 
Like I said, it's my understanding it was a mutual agreement between the two of them to just help repair that bond that they had because even Jessica recognized that there were issues between her and her mom. That seems like such an intense solution. Like, we're going to send you to this place for troubled teens. Even, I don't know, that just seems like a lot to me. I think yes, but I think that her mom felt like that was her only option at that point because she went from this straight A student to she wasn't even going to school Mm -hmm. and it was because of a boy. And I don't know, like I, it's hard for me to say because I've never been in that position and I've, I mean, I never, I got into a lot of trouble as a teenager and I mean, honestly, I remember freshman year, me just deciding I wasn't going to go to school and going to throw my business out there for a second. And I remember my mom come, like I was in my living room and like I had gotten caught skipping school. And like, I was like, I'm not going to school. And my mom was like, you're going to go to school or I'm going to call the police for you being truant. And I looked at her and I was like, okay, do it. And at that point, it's (laughs) like, snap. (laughs) well, now it's like, that was like a real test in like my respect for my mom. So my mom did and the police came. And at that point I was like, if you know me, you know, like it's You're like, oh stu- no, authority. <laughs> and but like I was stubborn. My Aquarius came out and I was like, all right, now I'm not going to back down. And they arrested me in my living room for truancy and took me to the <laughs> courthouse with the judge sitting in front of me. And he was like, You're gonna go to school. And I was like, Nope, I'm not. And I had no reason not to. And I was like an A B student. I would have pooped my pants. Like I yeah, would. I would have been like, I "Yep, was. you got it. No problem." And at that point, my mom realized she was like, "Oh shit, this is happening!" Like, because he was. He looked at me. He's like, "If you don't go to school, you're gonna go to YOC until you decide to go to school." And I was like, "Okay." I didn't mean any of that, but I was so like, "You were like, so I'm I can not see where the." Lose. I can see where the escalation happens because my mom was standing back there sobbing and in the bitchiest thing I've ever said, I looked at her like I was, guys, I was in handcuffs. And if you know me now, you're like, oh my God, like (laughs) I was in handcuffs, this AB student who had never got in trouble. I did so well on like state testing. Like they like pulled me in. I had no reason to not want to go to school. I just did it. It was like, I woke up and was like, I'm going to skip school. And then it was like this whole thing. And I looked at my mom and I said, this is your fault. It wasn't, it was mine. Cause I was a <laughs> stupid 14 year old little twat. <laughs> but yeah. So like, I can see where it escalates to the point of like a parent feels like they have no other choice. Cause I was that shithead teenager and like, if you met me now, you'd be like, Wait, <laughs> you did that? Because if I even have to speak in front of someone now, I have like a panic attack. But yeah, that was my white trash. That's that bold. was the white trash moment of my life. I that didn't was- know that story. So I'm think- glad yeah. you told me. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was rough. And then I got you put pushed on probation that one because way of it. Yeah, I got put on probation. I was like, yikes, this is like a lot for not wanting to go to one day of school. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I guess. If it was my kid, I would have been like, eh, whatever. <laughs> you can go tomorrow. And I think that was the difference. Like, I I feel like our there's like such that like authoritarian like way of parenting that like we're used to. And now I'd be like, all right, like what's up? Like, you don't want to go? Okay, like let's take a mental health day. But that wasn't like that wasn't like a thing. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. That wasn't a thing. So 
on March 4th, we digress back to yeah, now that I've told you guys like something crazy about. So on March 4th, 1991, Jessica moved into the Huckleberry house. She was going to group counseling. She was doing individual counseling with her mom. And Rebecca said that she could really see a change in Jessica. She said that the counseling team said that Jessica was on the right track. Her and Jessica were talking more. And Rebecca was like, okay, things are things are on their way to be back like how they were. Jessica was only at the Huckleberry house for 11 days. On March 15th, the day before Jessica was set to come home from the Huckleberry house, she had one last counseling session with her mom. Before her mom left, she hugged her and she told her that she loved her. Rebecca said that she left with a sense of hope and she was looking forward to Jessica coming home the next day. Jessica called Sean to tell him she would be coming home tomorrow and their conversation escalated. There were numerous reports from people that were around that during that conversation, Jessica and Sean broke up. Sean was, as he said, sick of being the cause for all of Jessica's problems, like anything that happened with her, like he was blamed for it, which, I mean, I get that too if you're a I mean, he was 18 at this point. Yeah. Your 15-year-old girlfriend's mom is like, every time anything happens, it's like, it's that Sean Thomas. It's that Sean Thomas. Yeah. So I get like his frustration in that sense. Sean had told Jessica that he was going to go to the mall and she wanted to go meet him so she could talk to him. And at the Huckleberry house, the kids had free reign to come and go as they pleased as long as they were back in their rooms by their 11 o'clock curfew. So she decided gonna go to the mall so I can meet and talk to Sean. So she walks to the bus stop and waits and waits and waits. But the bus didn't come. So at this point, she's getting antsy because she's thinking about one thing and that's getting to Sean and talking to them about their relationship, which again, 100,000% a normal teenage girl mindset. Yeah, I'm just gonna go do it. I'm gonna walk. Right? Is that what she does? What did she do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> okay. And like, you know, we've been in high school, we've had the, we're over fights with boyfriends and it's like, I have to talk to them. Like, especially if you're not the one who wants to break up. So at some point in the evening, a car pulls up and asks Jessica if she was okay. And she explained that she was waiting on the bus to go to the mall. She's offered a ride. Mm -mm -mm, Don't like that. Unfortunately, Jessica never made it to the mall. Now, this is your weekly trigger warning because these upcoming details are going to be pretty brutal. And unfortunately, only two people know exactly what happened to Jessica in these next few hours. So a lot of the details are speculation, but I'm going to get into it. Jessica was driven 30 miles from the city of Columbus to Plain City in Madison County. Madison County is a rural area of Ohio with some smallish towns sprinkled throughout. Plain City is a very small town. Madison County is located between Dayton and Columbus for anyone who is familiar with with this area. During this time, Jessica was brutally sexually assaulted and her hands were duct taped behind her back. Her kidnapper put tape over her mouth so that her screams could not be heard. She was raped repeatedly before Jessica, being the literal badass that she was, made her run for it. She was in the back of his car where she kicked and fought like hell and escaped through the back door. It is assumed that he had her in his car for hours driving around, stopping to assault her. Jessica was lost in the dark, literally, because it's the middle of the night, middle of the country. She's undoubtedly scared out of her mind, but it didn't Mm -hmm. stop her from fighting like hell. She took off running. Her assailant took off after her. 
leaving his car lights and his car running. I'm assuming all of our listeners know how dark and like straight up scary it is driving through the country at night. But I truly believe, and I've driven through like the desert, but I think there is nothing like a dark, scary night in the Midwest because you have the trees, you have no lights, you have curvy no roads. Lights. It's terrifying if you don't know where you are. And if you don't have a car light, I mean, if you're driving, it's different. You have your headlights. I hate driving in situations like this. I hate driving at night. I'll tell a story about that at the end of the episode because it doesn't doesn't pertain to any of this. But Jessica took off to see, took off after the only light that she saw, a farmhouse far in the distance. But she had no idea that between where she was where she escaped from, and that farmhouse, there was a cemetery. Oh. She had one shoe on, running through Foster Chapel Cemetery with the man who just assaulted her chasing after her. She would hide behind tombstones to try and hide from him, and eventually she put enough distance between her and him that she felt safe enough to make a run for it. Unfortunately, while Jessica was running full speed, she did not see that right ahead of her was a fence and she ran full speed into a fence post and it completely knocked her down holy it was mother that's awful she has one shoe on she's i'm assuming tripping over tombstones this is like a she probably doesn't have her clothes on also mm -mm, no she is in her bra and panties sounds like a horror movie it really does and I'm assuming that she's tripping because some of these tombstones are from the 1700s. So she's, yeah. And so I'm assuming she has tripped over them. She's hiding behind some of the ones, you know, that are like upright to try to like hide from him. It was during this time that this man was able to catch up to her. This Mm -hmm. son of a bitch pulled a tombstone out of the ground and beat Jessica to death with it. Oh my God. A 70 pound tombstone. He pulled it out of the ground. And researching this case and watching the ID, there's an ID special. It's called Dead Silent. It's on Amazon. You can, I bought it, but it's, it's, they do like a, like a dramatic reenactment of it. Obviously, like, because it's like real TV, like some, obviously they don't show everything, but her mom, I was sick to my stomach watching it. Her mom is giving her account of it because her mom is like one of the people that's talking And she said that the night of the attack, the RA at the Huckleberry house noticed that it was after 11, Jessica didn't come back in time for curfew. So around midnight, they called Rebecca and been like, hey, Jessica didn't make it home for curfew. So immediately her mom thinks, great, she's coming home tomorrow. So she wanted to start this thing back up with Sean. She -hmm. left to be with him. And here we go again. So she started calling a few of Jessica's friends to look for her. But she said she didn't want to call too many because, one, she just assumed that she was with Sean. And, two, it's late at night. She had no idea during this time, like this exact time, her daughter was fighting for her life, trying to escape her assailant. The next day, Rebecca called some of her own friends, so Rebecca's friends, to try to help find Jessica to go to some of the places where she thought Jessica would be. But they weren't able to find her. And again, she's like, okay, she's with Sean. She's just going to show up like she has before when she would sneak out and come home. Later that day, after having no luck locating Jessica and her friends being like, yeah, we haven't talked to her, she went to file a missing persons report. But they told her, can't file one. It's not been 48 hours. 
I yep. hate it. I hate yep. it. 47 hours after Jessica went missing, a young woman was in Foster Chapel Cemetery taking photographs when she discovered Jessica's battered body. She immediately left the scene to call police because it's 1991. Cell phones weren't Gotta go find a call. Mm -hmm. Find a call. Gotta go find a payphone. Find a phone. Mm -hmm. News of there being a discovery of a young girl in Madison County reached Columbus. Rebecca called the sheriff's department when she heard that the girl that was found was between the ages of 15 and 20 because obviously she had no identification. Mm -hmm. Sheriff Jim Saban was a sheriff on the case who was at the scene when Jessica's body was discovered. He said it was brutal, as I'm sure you can imagine. The investigators were able to follow her footprints that were left in the mud to determine the route that she had took to hide in the cemetery. They were able to determine where she stopped to hide behind tombstones because even like her knee prints were also in the mud. Oh. One of her socks had fallen off while she was running. And he said it was heartbreaking because you could visibly see how hard she tried to fight for her life and how you much see she that tried. She, she was so close. Yeah. 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 Uh. He was the sheriff who went to Rebecca's house. He said that immediately he walked in and saw pictures of Jessica and he knew she was the victim found in the cemetery. Because to try to paint a little bit of a picture without being like too brutal, most of her wounds, her face had bruises and contusions, um, but most of it, the damage was to her torso area. Oh, okay. In my head, I was picturing like her head squashed. Yeah, no. Okay. Um, so he knew as soon as he walked in, he's like, this is the girl that we found in the cemetery. The only way to identify her with her mom there was to show Rebecca pictures from the crime scene, but oh, she was initially, yeah, but she initially was like, nope, that's not her. Her mom said that she had a black eye in the photo, bruises, her lips were busted. And she immediately was like, nope, which I can't even imagine. Like my brain won't even go there. Do you think, think like she might have been like a little bit and a little bit of a denial? Yeah, and though. that's what yeah. Sheriff Saban said that like obviously she was like in denial, rightfully so. Yeah. Immediately it starts, you know, like eventually it starts to click. So the first suspect immediately Sean. Because they were convinced, like, she's not gonna get into the car with someone that she didn't know. Where was Sean? On his way to Florida with a group of his friends. He was brought in for questioning. And he was like, look, I know this looks bad. I didn't hurt Jessica. I was on my way to Florida. He had his group of friends that confirmed his alibi. Yeah. I'm, I'm also, glad. I Because that could had, have easily been a situation. Sorry, go mm -hmm. ahead. Sorry. They had DNA evidence from semen that was found on Jessica's body. And it was, a submit, it was submitted against Sean's and it was not a match. Mm -hmm. Sheriff Saban said that at the time, even though they had the DNA evidence... They were only able to test it against samples that they – like, test it against samples they were given. They weren't able to, like, run it through a database. So, unfortunately, her case went cold. What the – that's so crazy because there would have been, like, car tracks, right? And – Oh, the crazy thing is – so, he left his car running with the lights on. A car pulled up behind him, his car, and was like – Looking around, like, what? What is this? Like, you so know, they knew what just kind left. of car it was. They, mm -hmm. well, they didn't know that that was the car. They didn't know until after, like, they didn't know that that's what the car was there for. Because from she ran so far that he would, the man who pulled up behind this abandoned car would not have even been able to hear her scream. She 
ran like hell. Yeah. Because you think she's a very athletic girl. 17 years to the day. Literally March 17th. Day? That's March seventeenth, two 2008. It's the date. 17 years to the date that her body was discovered. Sheriff Jen Sabin, who was like, good for him. He's got a very long career. He gets a phone call from the director of the Ohio Crime Lab that began with the director saying, I'm going to make your day. It's the first kind of thing like he the said. the worst. <laughs> yeah. The federal database, CODIS, which if you don't know what that is, it's the combined DNA index system. It is my favorite thing in the history of true crime. St. Karen and I talk about this probably more often than we should just have like general conversations about this. It's literally like, I mean, the name is self-explanatory. It's a federal system that scans all DNA that's submitted to it against unsolved murders where the murder's DNA is left. Also like Jane Doe, John Doe, DNA samples of uh, victims who have never been identified. And it matches them. You can submit your DNA to CODIS and it's like, if you have some distant relative who's a murderer. great uncle. Was messed yep. up. Or if you have someone in your family who, I mean, that's like far out there that you don't know that they, you know, you're, that they've never been identified. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so dope. And it makes, it's by, it's so awesome. Science is so awesome. So there was a ding for a DNA sample on Jessica's case. Marvin Lee Smith Jr. had been out on bond for an unrelated case when Jessica was murdered. He was later convicted in that case, which was assault against two Columbus women, and he was sentenced to nine years in prison. A condition of his parole in year 2000 was that he had to submit his DNA sample in case he ever committed a crime again. What a f- Oh, what a turd. Mm-hmm. A but they had butthole. No idea it would ding against a crime he had committed nine years prior. So CODIS became operational in 1998, but like obviously it takes like a a long time to get like everyone stuff rolling, in, get yeah. everyone updated. But justice was served. Marvin Lee Smith Jr. was arrested in Burlington, North Carolina, where he had been living, just living a normal, like just living like he had never done anything. Sheriff Jim Sabin was one of the officers who was able to arrest him. He went he down to ex- North Carolina. He's like, mm, I'm yeah. going in on this one. He said that he showed him pictures of this crime scene. And initially he was like, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that. And then he was like, I think you need to take another look at this. And like he Good. couldn't, uh, he was kept saying like, no, I didn't do any of that. But he, then they were like, oh yeah, by the way, like we have your DNA. Mic drop. <laughs> that was such a good noise. <laughs> May 14th, 2008, he was indicted on aggravated murder, kidnapping, and rape. Prosecutors sought the death penalty, but in on February 27th, he pled guilty to the charges so that death, the death penalty wouldn't be on the table. He was sentenced to life in prison, and he unfortunately will be eligible for parole in 2038. He'll be 85. So he could I don't think he's going to make it. I hope he doesn't. I hope not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He maintained that he acted alone and he said that he remembers hitting her. This part's hard to hear. So just giving you a little trigger warning. 
that he remembers hitting her so hard and so many times that he broke the tombstone in half. Whoa. Mm -hmm. That is fucked up. Yeah. Because it takes, it really does. Giant rock. It's 70 pounds. 70 pounds of giant rock. And it's. I'm like a little girl. Yeah. And it's like for her to fight that hard and for you to fight as hard to make sure she doesn't get away to tell on you is fucking disgusting. And then to just go on and still go to jail, but then just go live your life. Yeah. They went like they found him at his work. Just like meh. What broke my heart is her mom said that once she knew Jessica ran for her life because the officer was like, this is she, she literally did everything she could. Her mom said what they did to her, the fear that Jessica felt, she would do anything to get away. And I should clarify, she says they, because up until his DNA dinked, they were convinced it was a group of people because they were convinced. Because it was so that, bad. Well, they were convinced she knew she had to know who took her. That's like, that was the whole idea. Cause this man's name never came up ever in Jessica's case. Like he was never a suspect. He was never on their radar. They, they just, assumed, did they assume they, she wouldn't get in a car with someone she didn't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she goes on to say, I can feel her heartbeat running through the cemetery. I can feel the deep breathing. She was probably doing when she hid behind the tombstone. I can hear her praying, and I realized that that was the worst thing I believe anyone could go through. And yeah, this is yeah, this is awful case of Jessica Keen. Uh, I think the part that hit hard for me was when you said that he was driving around and just raping her. Like I, I was like, yeah, I'll I be get- honest. Like I wrote that, and I was like, I, I almost left that part out. To be honest, no, I'm glad I, was like, you did I it. know this is because I be felt a- it. I was like, I, I know why she ran that hard. Yeah, like and it's, <laughs> and it's, it's so, just so crazy. It's hard. Like, I was first looking when I picked this case. I was picking cases because I wanted to touch on CODIS because we're gonna do plenty of cases where CODIS is the biggest part of it. And I wanted to touch on this. And like, I I this case had like two unsolved mystery episodes, like old unsolved mysteries, like bef- before it was a Netflix thing for people who don't know, like any yeah, of our Robert young listeners. Stack. Yeah. So I wanted to like touch on it. And then like, I was, I, I did all my research and like I had like all my notes out and I was like, honestly, I was like, holy shit, like this could be a copy and paste of what happened to Megan. With a complete different I definitely felt that as you were, like, after she had been picked up, I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep. Because I remember after I escaped and, like, running and just being like, he's going to catch me, like, and just going as fast as I could without, like, also getting caught. Especially when you don't know where they are behind you or if they're behind you. And you were in a strange area too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you were in a strange area, and I—I I can't really imagine did. what it would have been like if it was dark. And it I was think light. it really—I literally like after I did everything because I was like, even the amount of time that she was gone, I was like, man, I don't know. And I even asked my husband, I was like, I don't know if I should do this case. He's like, I think, I think it's a good one to show. 
Because like we have your case bag where it's like this is like you can fight like hell and you can but get out. Meg, but you yeah, don't Meg always. touched that she was the unicorn in cases like this. Exactly. Like I, my outcome almost never happens. And this is this is the prime example. Like this is a prime example of that. Yeah. Because like I said. The dry, like even when I was reading that, like where he drove around, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I really don't know if I should do this case. Like I, this is a tough one because this is literally, yeah. Other than I, like being her being like part, <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh, this is." I understand why. I'm still glad you told it. It's, it is. It's important that people hear it and know that those kinds of things happen. Don't get into cars with strangers. <laughs> and I it's can't. like hard. Like, and I know. Like, and I'm not trying to like. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, if he forced her into his car. Yeah, because, like, all we have, like I said, the, the details are speculation. So we don't know. I don't know the situation. Like, that's why her mom was like, I just don't see her getting in a car with a stranger. I don't yeah. see her getting in a car with someone she doesn't know. But I also, like, devil's advocate here, I remember being the desperate teenage girl where I I probably been like, okay, like, yeah, I mean, had I at, not known you, like, had I not known you were, it's like, you hear about these things happening, but it's always like, to, you hear about it. I, when I was a teenager, I knew that people could be kidnapped because my best friend had been kidnapped. So like, I feel like we were hyper aware of that, but we still were not as yeah, aware we still as we should have been. Yeah, we weren't always safe. And honestly, at nine, like, I wouldn't have gotten in a car with someone. I was forced into Mm-mm. a car, but um, <laughs> at like... 17 uh my car broke down at three in the morning and i was walking around a dark stretch of highway at night and i got on the back of some guy's motorcycle and he dropped me off at my house and i like i remembered looking at him and being like this dude looks like someone's like nice grandpa and i'm gonna do it and i remember thinking it's a motorcycle i'll tuck and roll if i have to and run but i just in my mind, I was like, this is a better situation than me walking down this dark stretch of highway at night. And that mm-hmm. was still sketchy. And it's like, so you see, like, it's, if I'm stuck at this bus stop and someone pulls up and they're like, oh, yeah, like, I can, I can get you there. Like, sure. But you're also, like, at a bus stop. Like, it's coming. You know, mm-hmm. it's coming. And. But you get that determination. I swear there is nothing more determined than a teenage girl. <laughs> that's fair that is absolutely fair yeah because it's i mean she's not she's not an adult she doesn't have she's a teenager who the only thing she's thinking about is i'm gonna go talk to sean i'm gonna talk my boyfriend and not break yeah, i'm gonna up talk to me. my boyfriend yeah like and i i get that whole thing of it like i get that because i probably would have done something just as stupid we did do things yeah I mean, I, we, we did do things we that were things. just as stupid 100 percent. it's just uh it you we we hear you fight like hell and it's like you can fight like hell and you can escape. And then it's like you can fight like hell and still there are still people out there who are just there. Like I said, he was just as determined to make sure she didn't escape as she was determined to escape. To escape. Yeah. And I do think had at that been, point they're both fighting for their life, you know. And I think actually not. I think I know for a fact had it not been nighttime, the situation would be. I don't yeah, think I'd be doing this case. Yeah, I don't yeah, think I'd be doing this case right now. But it's and she had no idea. Like she had she didn't know. You can't see that there's a cemetery in between like you and like this house that you're going to. 
It's yeah. literally like and I have apparently goosebumps she talking had about ran, it now. Yeah, she had run so far. Like even in that's the what, distance, you couldn't. Yeah, that's what the sheriff said. Like even if she would have screamed, this man who was stopped, ex- like being like, what the hell is this abandoned car doing out here? She, he wouldn't have heard her. Yeah. Which is, uh, I hate this. I'm glad that justice was served. I'm glad. I hope he has the worst time in prison. Sorry, it took 17 years. Mm-hmm. But also, I thought it was crazy that it was like to the day. Yeah, like that's seven to the day. That's spooky, huh? Mm-hmm. It's like it, uh, it was meant to be. Um, wow, man, that's wild. I don't. I'm like also cemetery. glad that he was also in jail for like assaulting women mm-hmm. because you know, uh, I just. He could have and done like, it more crazy? in that time. Uh, it's just this. And he it is really it messed bond. up. He was out on bond. He's like, you know what? If I'm going to jail anyways. I feel like I have very strong feelings on like assault. Like if you're assaulting someone like brutal enough where it could be murder or attempted murder. I feel like those should be the same prison sentences as murder. You should not be get less time because you failed at something. Yeah. Like I think the whole idea of attempted murder and stuff is like. The stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like you were it's still. Like, so you're. Especially when you admit time. to it. You're like, yeah, I was trying to kill them, but I didn't. Like. I failed. Oops. It's almost worse. It's like you're a shitty murderer. Yeah. Like we're giving you less time because you failed at murdering. Like that's. That just means that I when you get out, you assault. can try again. Exactly. Mm. I, uh, to end this Hot button case. Topic. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I could get real fired up with that. Like that's a that really pisses me off. And they're like, "Well, attempted murder." No, they, there should be no such thing. Like you should get the same exact time for being a shitty murderer. And if yeah. you assault someone like in a brutal fashion, you should get the same. Yes. Like should you be. shouldn't get rewarded for having enough self-control to stop right before you kill someone. Like you still were on that track and you're yeah, still a shitty person. Yeah, that should be like life imprisonment regardless. I yeah. I agree with you. And I firmly believe anytime there's a violent sexual assault, you should never get the option to get out of prison. Nope. Because the statistics show you're going to do it again. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I love coming to your TED Talks. <laughs> to end, the, end this spooky cemetery situation with another spooky cemetery situation. I, not Obviously not even close to the same thing. But anyways <laughs> – I was probably seven. I had had my yellow cobalt for, I don't know, a year maybe, if that. And I was driving the road, like the back way that we would take to your mom's house in Gas City, like by that cemetery right there on like 200 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I was driving back from Gas City. I don't know what I was doing over there, but um, probably up to no good. But I was driving back and it was late and I slowed down because this is a true story, guys. I'm not making this up. This is the scariest thing that has ever happened to me. This is why I don't do ghost stories ever. I don't watch the movies. I don't read the books. This is why I was up by that cemetery, by that S curve. That little tiny cemetery. The the spookiest cemetery. That is a scary little cemetery. So my cousin was in a very bad car wreck on that S curve my senior year of high school. Junior senior. We drove by it. Yeah. And it was. The car was upside down in the tree. She, everyone lived. It was like 
but they said it was weird because they lost control. They didn't know, really know why. Like it was like they were speeding, but like they had done that so many times and they just, the way they flipped, they were up in a tree. I'm getting goosebumps even telling this. this I'm is getting like, goosebumps. I don't I'm think get, I heard this story either. I'm driving back. I see what I'm 100% sure is someone standing in the road up there. So I go to slow down and I have that thought like, yeah, even if they're standing out there, I'm going around them. I'm not stopping. I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You don't ever stop. And I swear on my children, I got to that cemetery and the person, like the figure in the road, it looked like a grim re- it, just poofed out, poofed, poofed out. Like I, and it was just fog. And I was like, <gasps> that is my scary ghost story that happened to me. I am. That is scary. 32 years old. And so I have, you know, my brain like hyper fixates on things. Sometimes I'll just think about it and I'll, I still have nightmares about it. Yeah. Maybe you all will have nightmares now too. I don't know. But if you (laughs) you just like try like go over it thinking of all the things like it could have been or it could have happened. No, I'm 100% certain that it was a ghost, not a nice ghost. And knowing that it was the exact same spot where my cousin flipped into the tree. Yeah. And I'm, thinking about it now like it's freaking me out and it's if you're from our hometown if you listen it's the back road that between led to the, the access road like, of high school yeah the high school in like upland it's like two i think it's 200 maybe but it's there's that small there's the s curve and there's that small creepy little cemetery back there and i to this day will even in the daylight i will never drive that road really never. oh i've driven never. it a bunch but now i want to drive it again just to like in nope. the daytime, just to get a peek. I'm going to drive it's, in and like send you a picture. <laughs> uh, no, don't. I'll block your phone number. Don't put that juju on me. <laughs> I'll block your phone number. I don't care that we have a podcast together and we talk every day. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, I was like, this stuff is real. Ghosts are real. And honest, like I was it added i had that scare like when I was reading about Jessica like running through the cemetery, was I had that what you like pictured. Well, I had that like that tingle on the back of your neck, the same feeling that I had. Like Ooh, you just gave just, me goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. Like I had that feeling as I was reading all of this, and it like triggered some like sensory overload for me. And then like, was uh, it like when you have to I, shut it down? You're like, I gotta stop for the night. Sometimes yeah. I do that, especially when I'm like listening to scary stuff or like researching scary stuff, and I'm like the only one awake. I. We'll just like get that feeling and be like, mm, I'm done tonight. I gotta be, I gotta be I, done. I, I had that. Cause like, as I was like reading about it, I was watching this, the ID special on it. And like, I watched this stuff like at night, like I was on my computer. So I have like my headphones, like, you know, like it's dark up here. And if somebody came behind me, I wouldn't hear them. That's why I'm a back to a wall. <laughs> and it's like the, re- they did the reenactment. They were like doing this reenactment. And it reminded me of the local news station that did the reenactment when they were talking about um, the Trisha Ryler case mm-hmm. and they reenacted you running. And I was like, I, I was like, I can't do this right now. Like this is, and that's like, cause like you read about it and it's like, okay, like, yeah, this is happening. And like, I try to like black and white, I'm a black and white thinker. So like a black and white thinking this. And then it was like a freight train that hit me when I watched it. Like the reenactment it was like all of the, the same like emotions I had when I was watching the one where it reenacted you 
escaping. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is the same thing. Like, what the hell am I doing? I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. No, you can do it. I'm glad. And I, it's just, it's so scary for me to think about that side of it. Like I block mm-hmm. it out. Like I intentionally do not think about what could have happened because when I do, I start to freak out. Like I start to mm-hmm. feel like heart racing and upset. Yeah. But I, I don't feel upset now because <laughs> we're talking about it. <laughs> but if I'm like alone and I start thinking about it, it does mess me up. And I do think it is important to tell these type of stories because I do think that it should be known on both sides of it. If you, and it's something to teach your kids as well. Like if you, if you are abducted, fight like hell until you can't because yeah you know you you fight like hell until you can't and that's i mean i do think it's important to give everyone those tools just to know you know what what do you do in these kinds of situations like how do you how do you get out of duct tape how do you untie yourself if you are Mm -hmm. tied up where do you run if you how do you get out of a car if it's locked and you're trapped inside? You know, mm-hmm. those are important things to know. And, and it's if like you have it's, the opportunity to take like a self-defense class or something. You absolutely should. Because it's hard. As a parent, you have to teach all of the normal stuff, you know, like be a kind person, do this, do that. And then you also like it's scary that like we do live in a society where you have to teach your kids, especially your daughters. Yeah. You know, watch around you be and then like we did this like we I did the episode on sex traffic like human trafficking and it's like you have to you have to be hyper aware I, I feel like you have to be even more hyper aware now like you know don't spend too much time putting your groceries in the car with your back to facing you know like don't park where there's not a light like you know you just have to it's scary that you have to think like this but it's, I think it's important to know cuz I I mean honestly like we've said our listeners are going to get sick of hearing us say this. We knew, you knew firsthand what could happen. And we still did dumb stuff. And we still (laughs) did dumb stuff. And, you know, we talked like, I I never knew your full story. Like that's not something we ever talked about. We kind of like touched base on it, but like I never knew it until you told it on the episode. And like, we had been friends for a very long time, Mm -hmm. but it's still, I think up until like my mid twenties, when I really started like being like, okay, this kind of stuff happens. Like until I had kids, I would have had no idea what to do if someone came up behind me and snatched me. Like I, yeah, you you don't think about it. You put those kind of things out of your head, you know, that's never going to happen to me. It's so rare that it would happen. Why would it happen to me? And I watched, I watched this like tiny little news special the other day and I posted a clip of it on Instagram Mm -hmm. and in it, they're talking about why women love true crime, right? And mm-hmm. she said, it's so rare for these things to actually happen to women that they probably worry about it more than they should. And I was just like, mm, is it rare though? Is it that rare? Because like women are always, I, I she must've been thinking like serial killers specifically, but like battery, domestic violence, human trafficking, rape, like Mm -hmm. those things happen all the time. And I just, she was a professor um, in Illinois and I'm sure she is very smart, but I wanted to 
send her a message and be like, hey, I don't think that that was a very good message for you to send no, especially to literally when, everyone. <laughs> and I'm not trying to – I don't I don't know how to – let me try to think how to say this. We do have to – and I say we as women. Like we do have to worry about this. When we live in a society where a woman can be blamed for being raped if her pants are too tight and they're like, oh, well, she had to have, have, she had to have helped him get them off because her pants were so tight. So yeah, like we do have to worry about that because that is still the archaic mindset that some people have. Yeah. And, and then they're like women, you know, minorities in general, like any <laughs> anyone that's not a dude pretty much. No offense to dudes that listen to our podcast. Yeah, like we're sorry, you're probably like- nice. <laughs> Unless we find out you're not, then we're coming for you. Yeah, then we are. <sighs> But I think it's good to hear too. I wasn't ready for this tonight. (laughs) Yeah, sorry we're getting into this, but I think it's like still good to, I mean, a lot of our male listeners, maybe they have sisters, they all have moms and they may have daughters one day. So it's, these are the things you have to teach. They think about it too, Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, it's not a secret. (laughs) It's not a, it's not like we're like whispering, like, like, by the way, did you know that like it's more likely for a woman to be abducted and raped than it is a man? That's not that's not a secret. That's common knowledge. And that's what that's what the uh, the news lady said. She was like, men are sixty percent more likely to be a victim of violent crime. And I was like, yeah, from other men, like yeah. not from women. <laughs> like that's yeah. not to say that there aren't women that do better men and stuff. But we'll get into cases like that. Like I'm not saying there aren't cr- there are plenty of psychotic women that do horrific crimes to other women to men to their children to random children and like we will cover all of we'll We'll get there (laughs) yeah we'll get there we've touched on children who do heinous crimes our patreon episodes like one of the choices that the they'll be able to pick from is a woman who did a horrific crime so i mean it's yeah uh, it's there i know this is like way off but it's man and I think it's like Jessica Key, like this is a good case to show like you can think you get away with it, but you don't, but you're probably not going to. Yeah. Because there are middle-aged white women who have podcasts now. <laughs> and they can solve crimes. We can solve crimes. And, and I think, I think it's good that women in general have this new, newish obsession with like true crime podcast and. Because now, like, it's like, okay, come at me, bro. I've heard this podcast, this podcast, this podcast. Like, you're not taking me somewhere else. I know. I keep seeing those um, TikToks that are like, me if I was kidnapped. And part of me wanted to make one that was like, me watching me if I was kidnapped TikToks. But also, like, these people that listen to our podcast and all the podcasts and the shows and the books and whatever – Mm-hmm. Like they're gonna be the ones like, oh, hey guys, what's up? Did you ever have you heard of like Ken McElroy? Did you hear what happened? Have you ever? Did, there's this girl named Jessica Keen. She got kidnapped, and this is what they did to her. And then they're gonna like, like, what are we looking at? Like, I'm gonna be there. Like, what are we looking at? Are we? Is this like a this type of situation? Is are, this an assault and I escape? Is this? Or are you just gonna take me to like your your cave? your storage unit what's happening <laughs> are you gonna leave dna if you leave dna you're gonna get caught actually i am active enough on social media i'll be honest you're probably gonna get caught anyways because my friend who does the podcast with, <laughs> with me 
She knows that sometimes it's normal for me not to text for like a few hours, but she's going to be looking for me. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then we're bringing in St. Karen on the case, and she's the craziest one with this of us all. She will find you. She's a she PI. She put her DNA in so that they could find anyone who might <laughs> yeah. ever be related to her. So there's no way you'll be a Jane Doe. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy oh, to think. But that's we, it for us. Again, we joke so we laugh so we don't cry, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we I yeah, that's exactly the case. And I feel like we've gotten better at like at the end of the you could tell when the case is wrapped up and then we babble for a few. I try not to babble at the beginning, yabber. but then it's like yabber. <laughs> we yabber. Uh and if you're still listening <laughs> and you're not a member of our Patreon. We just released our bonus episode is a pretty good one. Uh, like we've said before, those are Patreon is where we will cover the more high profile cases that we get asked about to cover all the time. So if it's like a Ted Bundy or any of those, we give our Patreons um, the choice between two cases and then we cover what they pick. So that's where you the and if main you are a patron and you heard the last episode, my mic recorded weird. Sorry. <laughs> there's been two instances with both of us where we've recorded and we haven't noticed like it doesn't tell us until the end like it looks like we're recording off our regular mics but it's been our webcam mics and then it's at that point it's too late also if you're a patron you can watch us you can see us talk to each other yeah you can see us make weird faces and get goosebumps in real time you can – we edit out a chunk. Like if we ramble too much, I edit it out. So our patrons get to see the unedited because I literally – I <laughs> upload it directly. <laughs> you see husband – my husband walks through the, you know, the dogs back. run on the floor, the – my dog scratch. My dog was scratching, and I kept thinking it was my front door, but he was or my bedroom door, but he was locked in my closet. Her closet's big. He was okay. He was safe. <laughs> it's a really weird, random, big could be an office closet. The other part is an office, but yeah, that's, that's us. That's it. Bye. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to Gruesome True Crime with me, Connie, and Meg. We appreciate every single one of you. We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at Gruesome Podcast. Or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade, or if you have follow-up questions about the episode, follow the form on our website, gruesomepodcast.com, and email us. We love hearing from you guys. You can listen to Gruesome at the links listed on that website, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you normally get your podcast fill. Thank you again. Be sure to subscribe. Check your back seat before you get into your car. And remember that on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.